Welcome to Carry the Lantern, a story podcast. Many talented writers get stuck with the business end of their work. Today, writer-director-producer Jamie Monahan teaches us how to pitch ideas, screenplays, and pilots. I would like to know your experiences as a creator and how you began pitching. I started as an actor and I moved to New York primarily to do musical theater and theater. And I did a couple of projects on and off Broadway and off off Broadway. (laughs) And that was really exciting, but I was frustrated because a lot of the roles I was going in for were not roles that I was particularly excited about as a woman. I took kind of a year off of acting to pursue film and television and see what I could do by following mentors in the industry and people that I looked up to who were creating their own content. So for one year, I worked as a production assistant and then moved up to an executive producer. I was an assistant director. I was a casting assistant, casting director, pretty much everything. (laughs) Well, that's great because that's how you learn how to direct, how to be on set, how Mm -hmm. to handle things. And also a lot about for your own writing how to use character. Yes. So that's great. Within one year, I think I worked on five different projects and shadowed some really incredible artists in the industry that I look up to. And through that experience, I felt confident that I could write, direct, and star in my own project. What was the project that you got started with? Lucid is my first project. It's currently streaming on Dust right now, and it has over or close to 300,000 views across platforms. So that's fantastic. That's on Facebook, Instagram, Roku, anywhere you can watch basically. So that, that was really incredible. And the fact that it's had so much success has been really exciting. And what's Lucid about? Lucid is about a girl who is tragically assaulted on a girl's night out. And she ends up using virtual reality therapy to recover, but she becomes addicted to VR and her life at the VR lab. And there's kind of like a, what are the intentions of the virtual reality therapy center ultimately, like the owner and the creator of the VR lab. So it's very, I would say it's like a prequel to The Matrix in a way. It sounds like it's got elements of Clockwork Orange and Black mm-hmm. Mirror. It's got a yes, lot of interesting it's very stuff. Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. So did you make this on your own and then get it out there? Yes. The way that I've worked with other filmmakers that I find is the most successful is to create a proof of concept that is short enough to be a short film. So then you can use that, whether it's for a proof of concept for a feature or a proof of concept for a TV series, you then promote that proof of concept in festivals and from there leverage that for bigger meetings into turning it into what you ultimately want it to be. So for me, Lucid, ultimately I would like it to be a TV series but it could also be a feature. However, I feel like it would need to be a trilogy to tell the full story. What is the length of Lucid that is available for people to see? Is it a short? Yeah, it's a short. It's 15 minutes and I want to say 16 seconds or something like that. 
So that's amazing because a lot of people, when they're first starting out, they try to make something that's long and it's so difficult and so expensive that I think it's really wise sometimes to go for doing something shorter so you can prove what you can do and show the quality of the acting and the writing. Exactly. And the benefit of doing something on the short form is that you can show what you can do with a limited budget. And if you can get really creative and get creative people um, involved and on board, then you can go to your meetings and say, this is what we created with this much money. Think of the possibilities if we had this much. And how did you get into your first pitch sessions? Was it because of Lucid? No, actually, I my very first pitch sessions, I was going in as a producer in partnership with another female director and writer. The reason why we got those initial first meetings in LA was it was perfect timing. It was right after Frances McDormand had won Best Actress. And in her speech, she said, take meetings with women. We'll come to your office or you can come to ours. That was her literal words. Our trip to LA was just after that. So I feel like people in Hollywood were looking and maybe feeling a little guilty that they weren't taking more meetings with women. So when we came in as a female producer, director, writer, ensemble, we got in some pretty big meetings. Were you able to get in there without an agent or did you go with agents setting it up? How did that work? It was a combination. I don't think you should ever rely on an agent to get you all the appointments. You know, you need to actively be reaching out to people and in some ways working harder when you have an agent. The first time I took meetings, I got some meetings and I have no agent. So I got meetings as a producer with no agent and the director and writer did have a manager at the time. So that did help with certain meetings. And I will say that people, sometimes it's not even the offices communicating with your manager or agent. It's just the fact that you have one that helps get into certain offices. But then last year, right before the pandemic hit, me and my producer went out to LA and we met with multiple offices and I do not have a manager and I do not have an agent. You're always contacting first by email, right? Yes, although I'm not afraid to call. I feel like a lot of people don't use the phone anymore. (laughs) So just calling, cold calling. You need to know who specifically you want to reach out to in the office. And usually what happens is you'll get stopped by a gatekeeper. And that gatekeeper will ask, who are you? What, What do you, why are you calling? What do you want? But then that person usually gives you their personal email address. So that would be the assistant of whoever you're trying to connect with. So they usually give you their personal email address and say that they will forward your email on to said person that you're trying to reach. This is all part of the hero's journey where you have to yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to get past the threshold guardians to the yes. people that you want to see. A lot of those guardians are the people who are like feel the calls, the gatekeepers, they very quickly move into important people. So if you can build a nice relationship with those gatekeepers, when they transfer to an even cooler office, or just basically be nice to everyone, because you never know who is going to go to another office or who's going to be the person that you run into that's now an executive at the network that you're trying to reach. Have you pitched to people 
that did not take what you were pitching, but you've built a relationship with them for the future? Yes. I have pitched to a specific company. Two times I've met with them. And then in 2020, they asked me to pitch two ideas. So I busted my butt, got all the pitch materials together in a very short time and submitted them to projects two different projects that hadn't been written. So it's really just like proof of concept stage. It's a lot of images and your pitch deck and all that sort of stuff. So I pitched both of those projects to them and they passed, but they still love me and they want to work with me. It's just when it aligns, it's going to work out. It just hasn't aligned yet. What would you advise people bringing for a pitch deck or if you're doing it on Zoom, how are you presenting your material now? I think that you should be able to give a solid pitch without any tech. I think that you should verbally be able to convey your project and your idea and get passionate about it, give the facts and the details and hook someone all just in your verbal presentation because the amount of times that technology has failed me in a moment of like strong need... is so high. So I never want any of my students or anyone that I'm coaching to rely on technology. I think that should be the icing on the cake. That's the thing you kind of hand them to seal the deal. And also sometimes it's the thing that gets you into the room. So if I'm talking about a project, I'll usually include a pitch deck if I'm trying to get a meeting so that they know what I would be pitching if they were interested. Another office I've pitched to a couple of times, they are specifically female filmmakers and diversity behind the camera and just really championing female stories, but specifically within comedy. So I've met with their office a couple of times, but my projects aren't usually comedy. And that's another example of I've built a strong relationship with them, but I have not written something that fits into what they're specifically looking for yet. And also they might be able to mention you to someone who is looking for something that's more your genre so far. That's great. Yes. It's very much like acting. You know, when you go in for an audition, you don't always know. You should be thinking about booking the room and booking the connection with the casting director. Because if you build a relationship with the casting director who calls you in all the time and who has your phone number on speed dial when you're right for something, that is more lucrative and valuable than booking the job one time and then not building that relationship or that connection. How are you making your pitch decks? I'm a huge Canva fan. I use the pro. (laughs) A lot of people use Google Docs just because you can share those so easily or um, Google Slides. But for me, I love Canva and I've gotten really good at making pitch decks on Canva. So once you're like familiar with how to move things around and everything like that, I think it's really user-friendly as well. And all of my students, if you take my class, you have to use Canva because I can help you in Canva, but I can't help you if you're just doing like a PowerPoint presentation and I don't know like what happened. (laughs) (laughs) What are the pitch decks you think 
are fantastic that are online that people could see? There's a lot of pitch decks online. However, I do think that sometimes people say something is a pitch deck when really it's a show Bible. So being careful, like really knowing the difference between what's a pitch deck and what's a show Bible and what's a lookbook, because I feel like those three things sometimes can be, the words can be used interchangeably, but they are not interchangeable. So to me, a pitch deck is a visual representation of your project. A show Bible is the verbal representation of your project. And then a lookbook would have very little verbal and be 100% visual. I think people who are just getting started that a pitch deck is probably what you need. Very few people need a full Bible until someone's already interested in something like that. Yes. Sometimes they pay you to develop the Bible. So... (laughs) Why not get paid to create the Bible? I mean, I think it's a great resource to have, but I always start with a pitch deck and then I usually write my script second to having created the pitch deck. And then the pitch deck is editable and I continue to update it. And, you know, it has a very long creative life and it changes based on who you're showing it to, whether you're showing it to casting, if you're showing it to future investors or producers, the DP, it kind of evolves based on who you're showing it to. But with a pitch deck alone, you can get a pitch meeting if you are actively doing other things as well. So for me, being a female, an award-winning female filmmaker helps a lot because I can get in the room just because people are interested in having more women on set, more women filmmakers, more female voices. Like that is kind of the window of opportunity right now. But also if you were person of diversity, you would have a lot of success as well because your stories are really important right now. They're trying to have diverse voices and the quality behind and in front of the camera. So yes, and that's something I think most female filmmakers keep in mind is to bring other people along with them because you know what it's like to not have full support from the culture. Mm -hmm. So thank goodness all that's changing. You're very gregarious and charming. What if someone has to pitch that is shy? or has difficulty remembering their words and things like that. Do you have any ideas for people like that from your acting or from pitching? Yeah, there's two aspects to a pitch. There's the verbal and there's the textual. So you have your pitch deck, you have hopefully some element of writing. If you have nothing, then you have past scripts that you can show. There are going to be people who do not nail the verbal aspect, but they have a really strong kit that they're showing and that can kind of save them. But for people who feel nervous, I think the idea is as a producer or an investor, we want to see that you are the expert of whatever topic you're discussing. If your project is about vampires, you've done your research, you're the expert on vampire cinema. You know, if, if you're if you're pitching a feature, vampire feature film, then you need to have watched all the recent vampire films. You need to understand your audience. So the data can save you, I think, knowing your audience, knowing the demographic of who would be interested in this project, knowing your competition is really important too. So you can have confidence in being the expert. That's kind of number one. And then the second thing is you can fake confidence a little bit by just simple things like shoulders back, smile, trying to not use filler words, um, uh, and like all those need to kind of be out of your vocabulary when you're pitching, if you can, and you practice it. 
I think it's an element of being rehearsed, like practice, 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 and then throw it away. So you come off spontaneous. Brilliant. Do you rehearse on your own or do you practice your pitch with people either on the phone or in person just to see what kind of reaction you get? Yes. Especially with your log line. Your log line should really like hook people. They should be really excited about it. You can test it out pretty much anywhere. You can, whenever someone asks you, what's your project about? You can be ready to go with your log line and you can tweak it as you need to. Because if you say your log line and people don't have like a responsive interest, that's a good tip to be like, (laughs) okay, I need to work on that. Yeah, if people just like push the button to get out of the elevator, you're in trouble. Yeah, so my project that I'm in post-production for Legacy is about a group of sorority vigilantes who kill bad men and eat them to get rid of their bodies. Every time I say that log line, people react. It's crazy and weird and it's short. It also has a hook and makes you think about the combination of sorority sisters and eating bad men. It's just like It brings a lot of pictures to your mind of what that could be and what that would look like. That's what you want from a logline is to get a reaction very quickly from people, hopefully positive. And hopefully not scaring someone who thinks they're a potential victim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know guys always react differently than women. Women are always like, yes, or like, oh my God, guys are a little nervous. (laughs) Yeah, they're pushing that button on the elevator for sure. (laughs) Best networking advice for people who are trying to make connections? So it's difficult during a pandemic to network, but there are still opportunities. Things like the New York City Women's Filmmakers, they have groups that will do like Zoom networking. Also, the Women's Weekend Film Challenge has a monthly networking event. And that's really great because you break out into small rooms. So if you're doing a Zoom networking event, you really want to have the option to break out into small rooms or share your contact information or your social media handles so you you can connect with other people. Another great resource is Sundance. Sundance has a lot of free talks and masterclasses. And if you take them live, not only can you network and ask questions of the panelists or people presenting, but you can also network within the chat box with other filmmakers from around the world. So those are probably like the three best options I found for networking because we can't go to film festivals. And even virtual film festivals don't always have an aspect of the filmmakers talking to each other. There's some really incredible conversations going on in Clubhouse. I also feel like sometimes it's hard to check the legitimacy of the people who are speaking or credibility of the people who are speaking. But that being said, there are lots of filmmaker groups. There's lots of director conversations happening, casting conversations happening. But for me personally, I've found the conversations that I'm most drawn to are more about advertising and social media and PR, how to use PR to leverage your projects. And while most people people are looking at that as how to move your restaurant forward or your cocktail forward. I'm thinking of it. How can I move my film forward and generate more PR for my next project? Right. So you're basically an entrepreneur for your creative work. Yes. Do you still use like comparisons when you do a pitch? Yes and no. I don't really like the idea of this plus this equals 
this. Sometimes that's the best way to help people click, like click on their end of what you're talking about. So for legacy, it's as if a sorority or scream queens meets Dexter. That would be a good kind of comparison to be like, oh, okay, I get it. But when you're in an actual network meeting, a pitch meeting, you're only supposed to compare to projects that are less than three years old, which makes it a lot more complicated. You want to pick stuff that's super relevant. You want to show that you've been watching what's on TV right now. You're aware of the trends. That's another thing that you're trying to convey in a pitch meeting is that you are so on top of the current pulse of what people want to see and what people are watching. So if you're doing a mystery show, detective show vampire show, whatever it is, you need to know that genre really well in the worlds and what's already been done so that people yes. don't see it and go, hmm, you're hitting on something really wise here, which is that you have to be also pitching yourself as part yes. of your pitch. So you need to yeah. present <laughs> yourself as someone that people would want to work with on top of the creative aspects. Have you found that Correct. to be true? Yes. Unless you're looking just to sell your idea, which many people just want to write it and sell it and then move on to the next thing. That's awesome. But that's not how I create. If I'm creating something, I want to be in it. I want to be attached to it. I want to be a part of the life of that project. And most of the people that I teach and that I coach and that I work with are all actors trying to tell their own story or to write their dream role and to be a part of it. So luckily the industry is more open to that than they were five, 10 years ago. There's a lot of young writer directors, female writer mm -hmm. directors and stars now, which is yes. amazing. And I guess, I don't know if that started with Lena Dunham or who was the first person to really pull that off in a big way, but it's really possible now. Mm -hmm. I would say that she was definitely the start of it, but she had help because she made her first feature film and went to Sundance and then that helped her then do Girls. And if you watch that film, a lot of her friends and actor friends and collaborators moved up with her into Girls. And that kind of goes back to what you were asking about networking. I think a lot of times you should do a combination of upward reaching or third tier networking, but a lot of the networking that's really successful is the same level that you are, or maybe one step ahead of you, because we're all going to grow together. It's this idea of like, we're all kind of rising to the top at the same time. So those connections that you're making with people on your peer level are going to go far if you maintain them. So who are the people you're looking up to now that you would like to get a career off the ground the way they have? Is there anyone in particular that you see is just amazing and that's what you're striving for? I'd say Reese Witherspoon is a huge inspiration to me because of her production company. So when she started her production company and started to tell the stories that she wanted to be in and she wanted to act in, I think that was incredible. And to watch that company grow and how she's been able to be an executive producer on some of the coolest stuff on TV, Big Little Lies and Little Fires Everywhere. That's fascinating to me, that idea where you could be a, multi a successful multi-hyphenate who is constantly excited about telling female stories with strong female leads and getting to work with some of the best in the industry. The fact that she got Meryl Streep to be in Big Little Lies is amazing because Meryl was not doing TV for a really long time. In the pitches that you've done, are you just laying out the basic 
storyline or are you going into the Bible? Basic storyline. You're really talking about the core themes. So if you're pitching a series, you're really talking about the pilot episode, what happens in the pilot episode and who your core characters are because the core characters are also going to be featured in the pilot episode. So you kind of talk about the inciting incident, really important core characters. And then from there, you can talk about where you see it going. But I'm always careful because if you come in and you're like, I've written two seasons already. Well, a lot of really great TV shows are written in a writer's room with a group of writers and it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and it's very collaborative. So if you come in and you're like, I've already written the entire first season and you're a new writer, I just feel like that screams really green to me. I hear what you're saying. And I don't know that you would have a full season that would be TV ready by yourself. I have a hard time as a producer or an executive producer or a network, I'd have a hard time trusting someone who said that. And if you are someone who's super talented and acknowledged as super talented coming from possibly book writing or another field, you may be able to do something like that. But I feel like it might be too much to lay on people when you're first getting your foot in the door. And if they want more, they'll certainly ask for more. Yes. Also, I love the idea that you can get paid to do it to do the Bible. If they're interested, they might put some money into it. First submit, it's usually like the pitch deck and an actual pitch. And then from there, do you have the pilot script? And if not, the next question is, do you want to write it? Would we assemble a team to write it? And they could pay for the development of the pilot script. Even some writers that I know that are successful and have already been writers in writers' rooms, they will write a strong pilot episode, then pitch that pilot episode script, then that pilot episode could be bought and then commissioned to write a second episode. And then once that second episode was done, they bought the entire series. Fantastic. When you pitch to Amazon or Netflix or any other big streamer, how does that work? There's tons of people and they're all in different departments and they're all looking and listening for different things. You have to like target a specific person. And the best way to do that would be who is speaking at festivals, who is giving seminars, who is out in the world in a way that I could attend said event. Like for me, I would attend events at Tribeca Film Festival in person. I always was very selective of who I was going to see in a panel. And then my number two thing is always ask a question. So if you go to the event knowing that you need to ask a question, I usually think of my question in advance. So I'm prepared. But then if they say something that makes me think of an additional question or a way to like tweak my question to include something that they said during the presentation. But the key is to ask a question because then there's an association to you, the audience member asking a question, and then you email them or you email their reps and say, hey, I attended this event at Tribeca Film Festival. I was the first question and I just wanted to follow up with, can I have a meeting? Can I have a quick phone call, etc." Great, because normally people after a panel are just surrounded by people. So if they've already yes. seen your face, sold that's great. It's really wise to come in with a prepared question. I never thought of that. <laughs> the tips. 
first. They always have a section for questions, but it's especially at a big film festival like Tribeca or Sundance or South by Southwest. The time that they allot to questions is not always very long. The second they say, are there any questions? Your hand needs to shoot up so fast. And sometimes they vet your question before they let you ask it, which is great on the festival's part. And also great if you've already prepared a question because you've done your research and you're not afraid to ask it. I asked Lena Dunham a question. And even though I'm an actor, I'm completely comfortable in front of a crowd, but it was a large crowd. And I'm looking directly at Lena Dunham, asking her a question. And it was even one that I had pre-prepared and I felt nervous. (laughs) So that's another great reason why if you prepare your question in advance, especially if it's someone that you look up to, that can usually help a little bit with the nerves. Do you have any other ideas about about pitching or approaching your career that you think would be helpful for people? Like what social media work have you done that has been really helpful for you? I think the best advice I can give for social media is to pick one that you love. So for me, I really enjoy Instagram. I'm active on Instagram. I like stories. I like posting. So Instagram is the one for me that I use primarily. And then I have Twitter, I have Facebook, I have all the other things, but I'm not as active on those platforms. Another trick is to repurpose your social media. So for me, I post something on Instagram and then I copy that post and use the same picture and I post it on my Facebook page, my Facebook fan page or my Facebook business page. And then I post it on my personal Facebook page. And then I can also post it onto Twitter. So I'm only creating content for one social media platform platform, but then I'm repurposing that content for my other platforms. And you can also pre-schedule it. I could post on Wednesday, say to Instagram, and then on Thursday, I share that same post on Facebook and my personal Facebook page. And then on Thursday, I'm posting something different to Instagram so that there's something new that different people are seeing every day. And what are you posting? For instance, you wouldn't post your pitch. You're posting... For actors or creators, filmmakers, there's a lot of things you can post. Obviously, attending festivals is great because you can kind of get a lot of pictures from one event. Like if you attend Tribeca, pictures inside of a thing. I also think shouting out as a filmmaker, other films that you're really excited about or other events that you support or get behind. I'm interested in championing female voices and other female filmmakers. So a lot of my stuff is geared to women in film. What are you teaching in your course? I teach a class called Pitch Perfect. And it's about perfecting your pitch, both verbally and the material and data that you need when you go into a pitch meeting. It's a six week class. And the final class you pitch, we're doing verbal pitches right now, but it used to be in person to a panel of industry professionals, which have ranged from filmmakers who have screened at Tribeca to producers, Broadway producers, and lit agents, and just really awesome people within the industry. And then they give you feedback on your pitch, which I think is probably the most valuable thing of the class is getting feedback from people within the industry who can tell you, hey, I'm missing this aspect of your pitch, or this was great but this needs some work. And it's just kind of like gets the practice out of the way with feedback 
so that when you go into the actual meetings, you've already taken care of the tweaks and the bugs and you've worked it all out. And are you going over the pitch decks and everything too? Yeah, we have the pitch decks as well. So you don't get as much feedback on the pitch deck as you do your verbal pitch. They are looked at, they are critiqued and we work on them in class. So they're critiqued in class and it helps to me, it helps watching other people collectively. So notes for one pitch deck end up applying to pretty much everyone. They're small classes. So 11 to like 15, I would say is the max. So you're really getting in-depth look and that collaborative like process of doing it together. Are people still writing spec scripts for other shows? It seems like that kind of dwindling. I feel like that's a good way to get yourself into a writer's room or to get yourself as an assistant to a writer who's in a writer's room. I would say that's a longer route to go if you're trying to pitch your own idea to a network. That's a lot of time and effort to write something. It helps with representation though. If you have a spec script or if you don't have any scripts written, but also I just want to dispel that you don't, you need representation eventually, but you can go really far without representation if you're a hard worker. And even when you have representation, the people who go really far are the people who are still doing all of that hard work. Right. Doing the calls, making their own connections, talking their own yes. projects up. Because mm-hmm. you are going to be the one who can sell it better than anyone else, even your manager. Even if your manager or agent knows you so well, you are going to be the expert on yourself always. So in your experience, have all of your wins in pitching been on your own shoulders, things that you've done? Yes. Although there have been situations where I just was in the right place at the right time and things kind of aligned, but I was ready. Does that make sense? I feel like it's more than being in the right place at the right time. You also have to be prepared. So when someone says, hey, I have this opportunity, I was ready, but I just happened to be in the right room at the right time when that happened. Right. So you want people to have their log line ready, their ideas ready, a sense of comfort in talking about it should they get the opportunity and make sure you're mm-hmm. going to festivals and going to places where you can actually speak to people or chat with them on Zoom where there's an opportunity because you're definitely not going to meet anybody by not participating. Yes. Festivals are a great way to practice your logline out on a large test audience of filmmakers or people who are entertainment fans. You know, they're the people that you can get a really solid response from. And everyone asks you at a festival, what are you here for? Do you have something at the festival? Are you a director? Are you an actor? Actors should go to film festivals. I always think that's so crazy. I remember the first time I went to Tribeca Film Festival, everyone I was meeting was directors, writers, distributors, and producers, not actors. I'm like, here are all the directors in one room. Like these are the people you should collaborate with and say, hey, I really love your film. Next time you're doing something, I'd love to be a part of it. Here's my card, you know? Jamie, getting it out there. Thank you so much. (laughs) More about Jamie's work and classes in the show notes. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone or send that email to get your writing out there. Thanks for listening to Carry the Lantern. Love, Eleanor. Eleanor.